Amen. Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 11 through 4, as we continue in our study through the Lord's Prayer in this part 2. And would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Would you pray with me? Father, this is our prayer today. We pray for the glory and the fame of your name to go to the ends of the earth. May all the peoples praise you. May your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come for your bride. And Lord, we do pray for Dan Carter and Dan Jr. and Ian, Lord, would you bless this family who is grieving with great hope right now. Would you remind them of all of the precious promises in Jesus Christ and comfort their souls. And we pray that you would work mightily by your Spirit through your Word today for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we saw last week, God is our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We have permission and we have been instructed by the Savior to call God Father, to call His Father our Father. And last week we saw four truths about the fatherhood of God. We saw that before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. We were enemies of God. We were children of wrath. But secondly, we saw that through Jesus Christ, we have received adoption as sons, and now we can call God Father. We looked at the glory of adoption, the highest blessing that we have in Christ. We saw thirdly that we have intimate and bold access to our Father through Jesus Christ. Boldness, intimacy, we call God Father, Abba Father by the Spirit that He has given to us as a guarantee. And fourthly, we saw the deep assurance of the Father's love that we have in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Today we're looking at priority concerns for the glory of God. Jesus says, pray like this, pray, Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The priority for the glory of God that we are to have when we pray lines up with God's priority for the glory of His holy name. In the Westminster Catechism, the question is, what is man's chief end? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And John Piper takes that and he says, God's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Himself forever. And the beauty is that our purpose lines up with God's purpose and our good is not at odds with God's glory. In fact, we see in the rest of the Lord's Prayer the petitions give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts are not at odds with the glory of God, but we see a priority. Jesus teaches us to pray God-centered prayers because God is concerned for His glory. And God's concerns should be our concerns. You see, we pray most naturally about the things that are concerning to us, right? We find ourselves asking and praying when we're concerned about something. Let me ask you this question. Is the glory of God a driving concern in your life or a distant concern? A preeminent concern or a passing concern? And when I say distant, I mean it in this way. Distant in the sense that you're concerned about the glory of God, but there are other things that are closer to your heart that you're more concerned about. And it's evidence in the things that we pray for. Maybe it's a passing concern. Uh, the glory of God is you think about the glory of God. You're concerned about the glory of God. You want God to be glorified, but it's a passing concern, not a preeminent concern, not a concern in the first place of your heart. Is it the concern that drives you and drives your prayers? Jesus teaches us to pray Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So we need to make God's concern for his own glory the preeminent concern of our lives. And really, that would be the goal of this message. Is that we would see the glory of God in such a way and God's concern for His own glory and we would be moved 
and it would become the driving concern in our lives. So that when we pray, it comes out first. John Piper wrote this in his book, The Pleasures of God, which is one of my favorites. It's in a chapter called The Pleasure of God in His Fame. And it's really the teaching on God's concern for the glory of His name, His fame, His reputation, His renown. And Piper gives testimony of how the Lord changed his prayer life. And he says this, he said, I recall hearing one of my professors in seminary say that one of the best tests of a person's theology was the effect that it had on one's prayers. This struck me as true because of what was happening in my own life. Noel and I had just been married and we were making it our practice to pray together each evening. I noticed that during the biblical courses which were shaping my theology most profoundly, my prayers were changing dramatically. Probably the most significant change in those days was that I was learning to make my case before God on the ground of His glory. Beginning with, hallowed be thy name, and ending with, in Jesus' name, meant that the glory of God's name was the goal and the ground of everything that I prayed. The goal and the ground. Jesus teaches us to pray for two things related to the glory of God, the hallowing of God's name and the coming of God's kingdom. Let's look, first of all, at the hallowing of God's name. Father, hallowed be your name. The verb that is used is in a tense that is, it's, there's an urgency in it. It's an imperative. Begging God urging God to act in such a way that his name would be hallowed, that his name would be honored, that his name would be treasured. It's not hallowed is your name. Yes, his name is hallowed. Holy is he. But this prayer is asking God, urging God as a desire of the heart Lord, would you act in such a way that your name would be known and treasured? Would you bring glory to your name? See, in the Bible, God's name represents his character, his reputation, his glory, his renown. J.I. Packer says, in knowing God, his name is his nature and character as Jehovah, the Lord, ruler of history, guardian of righteousness, and savior of sinners. And God means his name to be known, honored, and praised. See, his name is worthy of our praise. 
John Frame says in the doctrine of God, he says, God's name is his self-revelation. In Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Verse 18 of chapter 33 says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. A little bit further in chapter 34, verse five, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God has revealed his name. He's revealed himself his self-revelation, his character, his reputation. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that word steadfast love is the Hebrew word chesed, and it means covenant love. And this is the covenant love that God has demonstrated towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love on display is the sending of his son to be the perfect sacrifice for sinners, to stand in the place of sinners that we could be reconciled to a holy God in his name. He proclaims that he forgives transgression and sin, but apart from Jesus Christ, Sinners will experience the wrath of God that is coming upon sin, and God is just to pour out His wrath. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy. We see in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, that God acts for the sake of His name. God does what He does for the sake of His name. Verses 9 through 11, the Lord says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Do you see the parallel between his name and his glory? And he's jealous for his glory and he is jealous for his name, his reputation. He does what he does for the glory of his name. And that's a good thing because the very ground of our salvation is that God acts for the glory of his name. 
In Ezekiel chapter 36, in this glorious passage on the the promise of the new covenant, in verse 22 it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Watch this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. These are new covenant promises, brothers and sisters. The forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Spirit, new heart, the power to now walk in His ways by the Spirit, all comes through Jesus Christ. It's all for the sake of His name. And that's good news for us because God is committed to the glory of His name, He will not let it be profaned. Just like Piper said, the glory of God's name is the ground and the goal of everything. God is concerned for the hallowing of his name in my life as a follower of Jesus, in my marriage, in my family, in my church. And God is concerned for the hallowing of his name among all the peoples of the earth that all the peoples would honor him that all the peoples would give him the glory that is due his great name. The psalmist says in Psalm 96, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. He goes on to say, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. It's not just about us. That God is worthy of the glory from us. He's worthy of the glory in Savannah and in North America, but God is worthy to be praised to the ends of the earth. That all the peoples would praise him. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, this is a great desire for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth, that his name would be praised among all the peoples. 
See, that's the heart of God is is he's worthy to be praised and he will be praised and he will have a people for himself from every tongue, tribe, people, and language. And our hearts should line up with that and pray towards that end. Amen? I went through the Psalms during the week and, and just did a catalog of all of the the uses of the name, and there's over a hundred times that the psalmist says, blessed be your name. Lord, we trust in your name. We find refuge in your name. Your, your name is worthy. Your name and your fame to the ends of the earth. On and on. God's reputation, His fame, His glory is His concern and it should be our concern. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. Not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking, we're saying, Father, I'm asking and we're asking and we're asking with great urgency, with passion, Lord, that you would act in such a way that you're, that you would move in such a way that your great name would be known and treasured among all the peoples. That your fame and renown would reach to the ends of the earth and that all the peoples would trust you and love you and worship you with all of their heart. Does my prayer life look like that? <laughs> Does yours? Is that the driving concern of our prayer life? So we looked several weeks ago at this. The, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few and we're like... This is God's concern for his great name and there's gonna be a great harvest. And so we pray, Lord, raise up harvesters to go out into your harvest, to bring in the harvest. And say, so that's a, a driving concern and it, it flows out of the concern for his name, his purposes, his glory. Psalm 72 Verse 17 and 19 says, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. Secondly, he is concerned for the coming of God's kingdom. So we pray, your kingdom come. Again, it's an imperative. It's this desire, Lord, your kingdom come. Your rule, your reign, your righteousness in all the earth. And don't we long for the coming of the kingdom? See, when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. He inaugurated the kingdom. It began, but it's not complete. 
It's coming in fullness one day. So right now we live in this already but not yet time. The kingdom has come and yet it has not come in full. One day it's coming in full. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Bring it in full. Bring everybody under your righteous rule. You are the king, Lord Jesus. John's vision in the book of Revelation, there's two passages that help us think about praying your kingdom come. In chapter 11, verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who was. Notice he he doesn't say, and who is to come. The kingdom has come at this point. John sees that the kingdom has come. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth, those who fear your name. You see, there's righteousness and there's judgment. There's justice. But for those who have trusted in his name, there is salvation. And the coming of the kingdom is the salvation of the saints and the judgment of the enemies of God. Chapter 12, verse 10, it says, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. We pray your kingdom come. Lord, we long for that day when God makes all things new. When God brings complete justice and complete righteousness where he is ruling and reigning overall. The Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Watch this. Christ the first fruits, speaking of the resurrection. Remember, the kingdom has come in part. 
but it is still to come one day. Christ the first fruits through the resurrection. Then at his coming, those who belong to Jesus, we read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 a little while ago in the service. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we pray that all of the enemies of God would be put under the feet of Jesus. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is no friend. It's a conquered foe, and one day it will be completely eradicated when his kingdom comes. So we pray, your kingdom come. And he will receive the glory to the ends of the earth and to the ends of the universe. Let me quickly give us some application. This really should drive us to purity, unity, and evangelistic zeal. Purity, unity, and evangelistic zeal because we are made to do everything for the glory of God and everything that we think and speak and do should be to the glory of God to the honor of God. It should tell of His greatness. It should tell of His fame. So we should be concerned about our own personal purity because sin doesn't tell the truth about the glory of God. When we repent and turn to Him, it does. Because it tells of the glory of his mercy towards sinners in Jesus Christ. So let me urge you, brothers and sisters, when you sin, when we sin, let's repent quickly. Let us, let's run to the cross of Jesus. Let's seek forgiveness quickly and let's glorify his name in receiving the forgiveness that he has granted to us in Christ. Purity in our lives, honoring the marriage covenant Purity in the marriage covenant, if marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, then the dishonoring of the marriage covenant tells a lie about the reputation and the fame of God and His glorious gospel. So brothers and sisters, if you're married, let me urge you to honor your marriage covenant. And if you're not yet married, if you're, if you're single, if you're dating, honor the marriage covenant. Treat marriage as holy in your behavior before marriage, in marriage, after marriage. But secondly, guarding the unity of the church, there's nothing that defames the glory of God and his reputation as a disunified church. Brothers and sisters who are grumbling and complaining and not forgiving one another, it defames the name of God. So guard the unity of the church. 
Labor to maintain the unity that has already been wrought by the Spirit. And finally, evangelistic zeal. As our hearts get in line with praying, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, it means that we need to get out of our seats and get out on the streets and get the gospel to the ends of the earth. There should be an evangelistic zeal that wells up within our hearts when we pray for the hallowing of God's name and the coming of his kingdom. And I think our laziness in evangelism is because we don't pray God-centered prayers. We're too busy asking for things for ourselves rather than being concerned about what God is concerned about. So let's change that. Amen? May our prayers change. May we be instructed by our Lord Jesus Christ to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray as our Lord Jesus has taught us. And we pray that the great concern for your name, your reputation to the ends of the earth would become our driving concern and it would drive our prayers, it would drive our actions. That we would do like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we would do it all for the glory of God. So Lord, capture our hearts, capture our affections, act in such a way today by your Spirit through your Word that you would be glorified among us, that we would give you the praise due your name and we would declare to the nations the glory of your name. Please do this for your name's sake. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.